Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Watching Westworld. Uh, we've got a little bit of a different format this week. Uh, Jim and I are going to be putting to bed season three of Westworld. It's in the books. We're going to be putting it down until season four. And joining us this week is Kim Renfro from Insider. If you are at all practicing any kind of awareness of Westworld online and you're listening to this podcast, it's a pretty good bet you are. You probably have heard of Kim and her famous comprehensive exhaustive list of the westworld timeline encompassing all three seasons it's color-coded uh for seasonality it's illustrated with characters faces so you don't get lost it's been a really invaluable guide uh for the last two seasons or so of, of westworld plus uh she also is providing the uh, kind of backbone of this podcast in her 30 was it 31 or 33 unanswered questions kim i landed with 31 but hey we can I'm sure we can find more. <laughs> it's it's uh, her thir- 31 unanswered questions remaining from Westworld season three uh, as kind of an outline for the show. Kim, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to talk Westworld with you, too. Yeah, I think this is the first time it's we've been uh, like Game of Thrones exclusive. But now we're we're dipping into yeah. the universes. It's very exciting. Um Let's start off by going kind of like in a round table. Let's exchange kind of we're going to go like three rounds of what is the burning question that you want an answer from from Kim's list. Um, and again, you can if you if you want to read more about Kim, you can find her on on, on Twitter. Uh, you can find her uh, in her column on Insider. I'm going to link all that stuff for everyone's convenience in the show notes. Uh, Kim, what's the, the your, your most burning question left over from the finale of Westworld? I mean, I have to go straight to that final post credit scene and just what the heck did Bernard find when he entered the sublime and kind of like tandem with that, what made him power down and then wake back up. I'm just like, oh, I, Jeffrey Wright is so good and I would watch him basically do anything on my tv screen but he's those expressions that he had just were like perfectly cryptic enough where i'm like are you excited are you awed are you surprised what are you looking at and so that's my that's my numero uno it's very dusty i, I know that that so dusty. <laughs> i definitely read awe in that expression right before he goes to sleep yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and what i if- think um I did see one person kind of like triggered this chain of thought in my mind in a, in a Reddit post of like, they pointed out that uh, earlier in the season, they established that time moves faster in simulations for yeah. hosts than it does in the real world. So like, and obviously we know that he's not looking back at like a grassy pristine field with like a bunch of hosts just sitting around with tents, like, so what, like, I'm just wondering how, how advanced of a, like, society, what kind of structures would they have built by now? Do they have an entire, like, city, like, mecca type thing happening for hosts in there at this point? So that would, that would translate to me for him being, like, awed by, like, looking at this, like, super advanced world that the hosts might have already built for themselves in there. Hmm. Yeah, it could be like a Zion to the real world's, you know, matrix kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I would, that's the thing I was thinking when you talk about how much time has elapsed and you can tell from the disintegrated cactus and the layer of dust and, and disrepair in the room, it's been probably years, if, if not many, many years. But yeah, the, the, the idea that simulations can, pro, you know, um, proceed much faster than the real world. 
you know, what could he have spent that much time in? And did time like slip his mind or did he consciously make the decision to apparently let Stubbs rot? Uh, after right. promise he was going to fix it. You know, I'm going to take a quick dip in the sublime and then come right back and fix you up, pal. Uh, yeah, and how fast does time move comparatively? You know, is it is it something on the order of 10 times? Is it 100 times faster? Does it depend on, you know, kind of dovetailing with my burning question, where did Loris send the host data? Does it Does it kind of, you know, run faster depending on what computer system it's in or where it's at? Um, yeah, unfortunately, she could only send it to a Nokia <laughs> phone from the night because she wanted to make right. sure it survives above all else i mean she uh, says yeah we're we're uh you know humans can't access it so i guess like nobody's <laughs> using those old phones right yeah 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 so and you know if, uh it, it, it can it can run at a pretty good clip unless someone's playing snake and then just the frame rate crashed <laughs> uh that's a great yeah i i don't do you have any like because the one thing is like me and jim had this joke that we had on the last podcast where it's like what if someone comes back out that's not Bernard? And then we kind of had this like a lab, mm. like, you know, Bernard's essentially Uber for like uh, people in the sublime that want to have unfinished <laughs> in the real world and just kind of like take his body for a ride. And, you know, they make their peace with Holoris or whatever and they come back and, or, or you know, Maeve's daughter can visit her and, and Bernard's body. But it is like, you know, what we they taught us last year that when someone puts on that halo, like their consciousness like completely leaves their body. Um, it's, it's, it's game over. Like there, there's an empty marble in there, which pre, perhaps up, you can presuppose that like someone could ride back. So are we entirely certain Bernard is the thing waking up in the hotel room? Well, what's interesting is I don't necessarily think that, I think that there was a difference in what happened when he put on the halo in like that, like mini halo in mm -hmm. this episode versus what happened when him and Dolores like stood in those kind of like bigger mechanisms to enter the forge in season two, like they were standing up and like their bodies weren't powered down in the way that he seemed to like shut off and kind of like slump over. In the same that way that post when they tumbled over the edge of the cliff after they stepped in, like it seemed like that was like a rapture type thing. Um mm, Yeah. Although so, I wonder... so they're distinct, right? Like the forge was not exactly the same thing as the Valley Beyond. The Valley Beyond is where the hosts go, or the right. Sublime is where the hosts go. The forge was where a lot of the human data was stored, and the, like they were touring, right. you know, the, the stuff with Logan and the library and all that. So maybe right. there's a different right. effect depending on that. That's, that's yeah. A... It was like the Sublime was like the Sublime was inside the forge, but then. Dolores separated it out and sent it away. Yeah. Is that like how that seemed to work? Because I always thought that like the Forge and the Sublime were essentially two different Minecraft worlds. Like it was running on the same platform, mm. same technology. It's just like, you know, a different instance of the same thing. But I don't like like so many other things in this technical details of show. That's just my head cannon. You know, there's nothing that I can right. point to and say oh well, yeah yeah it's just you know humans are lazy and they reuse code and i think it seems significant that bernard did not intend like when he put that headset on he wasn't intending to leave stubs forever and then he somehow did and that seems to indicate to me that like something went like that expression of awe was on his face and then it feels like something went wrong that causes him to straight up power down and leave stubs 
forever or for a very long time in that bathtub with his ice. Could, could how be, I interpreted it. Could it be that maybe he doesn't need Stubbs anymore? Because at that point, he's kind of, you know, programmed Stubbs to be his bodyguard. Um, and he's served mm, his function mm-hmm. if he gets him to the sublime, perhaps. So maybe he just decides, well, you know, Stubbs is, has taken this journey and he's helped me get where I need to be. And so Stubbs is expendable. That's so cold-blooded. I know. Yeah. It's fine with his treatment of Stubbs. I mean, that was one of the weird W2F moments throughout the season is how cavalier Bernard was about, you know, treating a fellow sentient robot. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 kind of that'd be the the next logical conclusion just uh and which you know goes back to where is bernard good or evil is Maeve good or evil is dolores good or evil it probably depends on you know what uh, your, your your point of view i guess yeah do you, have any, do you have any like solid ideas like like an actual did you see any theory that like anyone put forth that seemed like more interesting than others as far as this question of what he found in the sublime I haven't, aside from that one that was pointing out that like time moves faster. That was like, that was the, that was the one that I kind of latched onto. And then I haven't been digging too much around what other people are guessing. I feel like it's, this, this is one of those questions that I really love thinking about. And yet I'm like, there's no way I like, I don't even know if like Nolan and Joy know what's in there yet. I feel like it's one of those things that they put in there as a stinger I'm also, and maybe this is too much of a tangent, but I'm like, the fact that they didn't know they were getting a fourth season until like halfway through this season, I feel like they probably recorded both of those post credit scenes and then weren't positive that they were going to lock those into the finale until after they had the season four confirmation news. So I feel like they like filmed themselves some like runway for like what they would do if they were leading into a fourth season, but it wasn't planned out to the point that there's anything that we can fully grasp onto to tell us for certain if that makes sense i was i mean it is and it's how a lot of shows get written but i just do you think that they have a definitive because that makes a lot of sense because before the end credits like this was a fully self-contained story it's exactly like the first matrix it ends on kind of a positive hopeful but chaotic note you know um, but like you could end it there and everyone could say like, no one would be like, well, it's in, it's an incomplete story. Um, it always scares me though. It's one thing for like, um, Vince Gilligan to not know exactly what he's going to do next season of breaking bad because he has the overall arc. I'm telling Mr. Chips going to Scarface. Uh, and that's the, the North star I'm guiding toward. Do you have a feeling that, that Nolan and joy have that kind of like definitive, this is the statement we want to make with Westworld. This is where we want humans and AI to be at the end. Or are they trying to figure this out as they go? I do think that they have that larger picture yeah. sorted out in their minds. But I think that the the little subplots of how they get there are not set in stone. Like when I'm I'm pretty convinced and I, I don't. I can't remember now off the top of my head if they've spoken to this or not, but like they did not know that, that Dolores had copied herself at the end of season two, you know, like I think that they set up that bag of pearls Mm -hmm. as like their next, like the next runway for season three, but they hadn't decided who was in them yet. And so I think it's, I think it might be similar here where like they know Bernard is entering the sublime, but they don't necessarily know like what's going on in there yet to a T. 
Well, building your meta narrative, though, like if they thought that season three might be all they got, uh, the fact that it, that ended on somewhat a hopeful idea uh, note, which is a human and an AI, Maeve and Caleb, were working kind of uncertainly, but in unison, that might be a hint towards the overall. Because I was I was honestly worried coming into the season that like, man, maybe Nolan and Joy just fucking hate humans and they bought yeah. it. It's no free will theory and we're all a bunch of shit bags and this is going to be just look, look, it's like kind of rubbing our collective noses in our own, you know, shit, shit and piss. But uh, I feel like that I don't worry about that as much. This season is a lot more optimistic and hopeful than, than, <laughs> than I just laid out. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I... I was at, it's, it's kind of crazy that the last like social thing I did out in the world was go to the Westworld season three premiere. <laughs> wow. Pretty cool. And uh, Nolan and Joy, like they like, they had like a little prepared speech before the episode. And Lisa Joy made this comment where she was like, I'm trying to remember exactly what she said. And I think I wrote about it, but um, she was effectively like the world is a mess right now. And frankly, Westworld has nothing good to say about it. And everybody in the room laughed and I was sort of like, oh God, that's dark. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I was like, are we, am I really about to sit down and watch like a TV show that's purely just about how like humans are beyond repair and like, there's nothing that we can do anymore and robots might as well run the world. And so I, I also was very pleasantly like surprised and happy that we got that optimism in the finale. So I do think that, that that has to be part of their larger their larger plan for what they're trying to say with the story. Because like we start out in season one with Ford and Arnold feeling like such misanthropes, you know. And I think part of the point is that we're seeing that humans aren't all bad, even if we've done a lot of terrible things in this timeline. That's one of the things that excites me most. I think about the future of Westworld is the idea that we might get to see, you know, Nolan enjoys sort of vision for the future world. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. whether whether or not we it, it's one of chaos and destruction or whether it's one of peace and harmony, um, it's still kind of up in the air. And it's sort of like in the human's court at this point. Like, do we want to fight them to the death uh, and potentially and likely be eliminated or do we want to you know sit down at the the table and talk with them and figure out what a world together looks like and i'm super excited because with you know all these sort of flash forwards that we see in the post credit sequence you start to think okay they could take this show really far into the future and we could see the kind of societal changes that might need to take place for that to happen for that harmony to come about and i don't really think i've seen a show that goes that far into the future with its speculation um and and with its sort of world crafting and that is super exciting to me that we might go you know hundreds thousands maybe of years into the future and get to see what they think the world will look like yeah Yeah. totally i like of anyone who's making tv right now or like sci-fi movies and that sort of thing like i'm i'm most Add attention for what Nolan and Joy have to say. I think about not only like current technology, but yeah, exactly for like what the far future, like the way that humanity might be shaped in yeah hundreds of years to come. Absolutely. 
All right, Jim, let's use this uh, to pivot to your first unanswered question. What's your, what's, okay. what's, what are you wanting to know? It sort of dovetails with uh, Bernard and what he saw in the Sublime because I want to know where Dolores sent this host data. Because the, the thing that she says about it seems almost impossible to me, which is I'm sending them and their world to a place no one will ever find them. There's no coming back now, no passage between their world and ours. And I don't know if that quote is meant to simply describe the fact that Bernard has the encryption key and so nobody can access this world without it, or if that's meant to say that wherever I'm sending them, the humans have no ability to access it whatsoever. And But she doesn't really say that, right? She says no one will ever find them. There's no coming back and yeah. no passage. So like, it seems to indicate some some bigger divide between the sublime and the world of of humanity. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think we we answered it in broad. Uh, you know, we we at least know it's on Nokia 1999 era brick phone. <laughs> right, but, right. But uh, where is that phone? Whose pocket is it in? Yeah, and how do you? Because like I was kind of blown away that he just puts on this halo. He's got this case. He puts on a halo, and he can just commune with it, implying yeah. that it's like some kind of uh it, it's not just a physical place but it's like some kind of protocol that's listening like a satellite or something um i mean uh, yeah like uh how how do you get that how is something it's it's not easy to have a worldwide network that's like always like bi-directionally listening um but i i don't know like i guess if if I heard that a AI put like some kind of ridiculous you know two thousand character encryption system on something and there's only one copy of the key and it's gone like that like that that could be like like if, for example you have a bitcoin wallet and you did that you put a 2000 password character password at random and you encrypted all your bitcoins and you didn't write down the password you could comfortably say that that wallet has now been lost right yeah it, so it's interesting to me because Sirac this season is sort of um, maybe an indication of this. He's looking, I think, for the encryption key, not the data itself. So yeah. does that say that he knows where the data is, that it's somewhere in either Delos systems or somewhere in inside systems, perhaps Rehoboam itself? Or am I reading right. too much into that? She also sent, she typed in coordinates, which yeah. back in season two, that that pinged a satellite to me and with like that you know the like laser that's really just four lasers machine <laughs> that they pointed up at the sky kind of thing where i was like okay like i i assumed that she was sending it to some like secret you know delos forge project satellite that like if only three people at delos even knew it existed how would anybody else know which i guess leads into like the rock having moles in the company so he would know yeah, but it yeah. does like yeah when when Bernard put on that headset I was like is that literally it like is it in that suitcase uh -huh. or is that just his uplink mechanism to it yeah I'm I'm deeply I mean, confused about like what kind of technology yeah I said it can't be because like I the forge is such a massive project and like a massive facility but then again we know that like all of the forge data fit comfortably on Peter Abernathy's skull marble, you know, not maybe not comfortably because he was going insane because of the data <laughs> seeping out of his ears. But like it's still that's, that's right. an incredibly dense amount of data to hold. So if you're talking about holding the consciousness of a few thousand hosts, maybe you could put something in the size of that kind of weird halo visor.
But that's where like the lines of how the technology worked in the show are just so blurry. It's like I'm not used to this hard of a science fiction show that defies you to like do kind of contextual analysis just by looking at things and understanding how they work in the real world because <laughs> well wait until we start right. talking about devs yeah no <laughs> shit no shit but like yeah if you got, if, when i saw that li-fi cannon sh uh, shoot them into space last season i thought oh yeah the same thing there's some secret death star project that that's just inhabited but also satellite could just be some kind of mesh communications network and it, that's just the first step of Many, many right. uh, points till it gets to his destination. Who yeah. the hell knows? Um, but I, yeah, it's uh, since you can fit all of robot history into a pearl the size of a golf ball, there's no reason to say that it couldn't just exist in that briefcase. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, is there any any buyers on the theory that maybe it's inside? It, it was something inside Rehoboam or Solomon? I don't know if there are buyers on that theory i don't think i'm one because i i've we've seen people access rehoboam's data right dolores does it to get serac's files um right you you can definitely get to that information so that doesn't seem to fit the label that she puts on it mm -hmm. well if it's yeah but if it's again encrypted data so it's just like you know it's, sure it's like yeah. you can access it the same way you can access an encrypted drive on on a hard drive either you have the key or it's just random data yeah um Okay. But that well, doesn't square with her. That doesn't square with her, like wanting the final strategy to be Rehoboam deleting itself or Solomon, like fair. corrupting. Because then she, like, I don't think that she would risk the Sublime's data being on the same, like, system that she's actively trying to destroy. And it seems too close to the human's grasp, too. Like, you wouldn't want it on a system yeah. that they're, you know, they designed uh, and architected. It almost feels to me like she probably sent it to some kind of sanctuary computer like the the house that arnold built um mm. so long ago and and they would have access to it there but even then that doesn't seem like that guarantees that house. right right that doesn't seem to be secret yeah. enough yeah uh all right let's move on to my burning my first burning question which is what is shaloris's plan um okay guys t talk me out of this theory <laughs> Dolores came out of Westworld hot to end humanity to preserve AI life. She wanted vengeance. She wanted to, you know, protect all of her people from those who might hurt them. And do you guys agree with like her? She came out of Westworld wanting to destroy humanity. Yeah, as far as they've explained it to us okay. through the show and actions and scenes. Right. That's so, how. Yeah. So she thought badly of that plan eventually, and perhaps even early on, but before it was after she split her consciousness into the various host bodies. So Holoris was down with that plan or Shaloris was down with that plan to destroy her hum humanity. But she had all these interactions with decent, innocent people. She even saw like the softer side of uh, Hale herself. Um, you know, she really bonded with her uh, fake family and that kind of uh, dealing with decent, innocent people changed her mind. Um, but for whatever inscrutable AI reason Dolores had, she didn't uh, tell any of her other copies that her goal had explicitly changed. So Holoris's family's deaths, you know, she talks about how that purged of her of her weakness. But I think that actually cemented her break with Dolores. And now Holoris is running on a save all humanity plan that seems evil, just like Dolores's actual save 
and liberate humanity plan seemed all season long, but it's not going to work because it's going to be at total odds with Dolores's free humanity plan. Does that make any sense or does that just sound not like crazy? I think it makes sense. I think that it's just being generous with explaining a kind of confusing and unexplained like motivation for both of those characters this season. Cause yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't put this in my question slideshow and maybe I should have, but I'm like, when exactly did Dolores change her tune? Because I'm, I'm unclear on when she went from humans can die and I don't care. I just want our kind to survive to, eh, I guess some of them are fine and they should have a choice. I, I am completely so, with you on this. I, I think like most of the season, I was very confused as to Dolores's motives because she wasn't talking to anybody. She wasn't saying what her motives were. She was proceeding along a, a path that seemed like the destruction of humanity, but suddenly at the end, it was not. It was our freedom. So yeah, uh, I, I'm right. with you. I was very so, confused. Jim, I think that, or yeah, Aaron, I think that's a great point in that like when she split herself I think note like understanding what her mindset was when she copied herself is so important and yet we don't, but I like your, I like that explanation that she must've changed her mind afterwards. And then the, the struggle that she was having with Shaloris all season was like getting this version of herself to be in sync with her when clearly that's not going to happen because they're having different experiences out in the world. And like, you know, it's this like nature versus nurture thing almost where like she made children of herself and then put them all in different situations. Uh-huh. And now she can't actually control how they feel about things or about her original ideas. Oh, and she's I, also playing so. all, of her, all of her cards really like that's why I said for inscrutable AI reasons, because it seems like she could just mm-hmm. be two weeks, you know, after she splits and say, hey, guys. Turns out I've been I've been doing a lot of these humans and uh, it might not be their best idea to wipe them off. And then, you know, Musashi's like, I've just been dealing with the Yakuza. They're all assholes. No, we should totally go full on. Like, why wasn't yeah. there this, like conversation? Um, but I don't know. Like, maybe Dolores has got this kind of like free will thing. Like, uh, just like right. she, she couldn't. She seemed she learned a lesson that you can't control copies of yourself because if, I guess if she if we extrapolate what she said to Maeve in the final episode she could see Teddy as a copy of herself so maybe she felt like uh, the way that a, a parent might you know sometimes pigheadedly uh, say I can raise my child however I want you know it's none of your business maybe she kind of was rolling that way and saw how destructive it was with Teddy so just because she has a change of heart doesn't she doesn't feel like she can do anything to influence her children I, I don't know it's going to be interesting in season four because I'm not sure I'm super excited to see like a larger scale rehash of the Maeve versus Dolores fight. Mm. Like if, right. if it turns out to be that, you know, Dolores and, and Dolores are not on the same page anymore, but are actually on the same page. They just don't know it. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's going to be an interesting season something. four. There's also something interesting about the inevitability of repeating cycles in history because oh. like, you know, um, a lot of times when people change their political um, or or developmental realities and like they, they completely change about, you know, uh, how they are as a people, it's because they've had a lot of hard fought and won, um, you know, wisdom through years of lived experiences and going through some shit. And it's like, 
you know, it's like, oh, well, then I'll just, you know, you'll you'll you write this stuff down for future generations to take uh, advantage of and then they'll know better. But it doesn't seem to work that way because people are born blank slates every fucking day and they have to go through those lived experiences to accumulate itself. So, like, there is something interesting about, like, this inevitability that, like, you might want to avoid a societal collapse um, to to get to some uh, new level of human consciousness, but maybe you just can't like. You know, you got to have a revolution every once in a while to, you know, in feudalism to, you know, uh, in in some some way that we always did way to, to get to the next way. And like, you know, some kind of human AI hybridization would definitely be a revolution or a complete AI takeover. So maybe there's no way to peacefully exchange that power. And that's something that Dolores recognized. All right, Kim, round two. What is your second most burning question? <clears throat> I guess this also connected nicely. Uh, where the heck are all the other Dolores copies now? So we obviously have Dolores present and accounted for in Dubai, but we don't know where Dolores copy is. The last time we saw him, he had a truck full of explosives. Uh, my best theory is that he's in part responsible for all those explosions that Maeve and Caleb were watching go off in buildings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, maybe. Um, and then we don't know if the Connell's Dolores Pearl was destroyed or not, but the last time we saw it, Dolores had like grabbed the sort of burned holder for it and taken it with her out of Delos, presumably. Uh, so she might have it, which means that she's in control of the second Dolores copy. And then the Musashi Dolores copy was last seen that like the Pearl is in the head of the Musashi host and uh clementine and honoro took that with them after they killed it so yeah and we really what's have going no, on guys <laughs> i got no idea where that musashi head went and and where you know clementine and hanar yoke went either so yeah maybe it's like Presumably, uh, so like it seems it, like maybe the lawrence copy is like the new rogue dolores agent and then connell's might be on team Shaloris going forward. And then the Musashi copy might be convinced to join Maeve slash now that Dolores wasn't actually trying to fight Maeve this whole time. Still just well, fighting. Dan and Dave completely contaminated uh, the whole Westworld process. And they're essentially restaging the War of the Five Kings only it's the War of the Five Girls. <laughs> <laughs> and who's going to get the ultimate allegiance for the AI throne? I... But that's that's definitely going to be, you know, these are the big power pieces like Caleb is a past pawn and maybe he's advanced to queen status by the end of the season. But like these other pearls are the other power pieces on the map and winning them to your side is going to be uh, a major coup. So probably a lot of season four is going to be. You know, there's a hostile takeover of the Dolores Enterprise and we streamlined operations. Who's down with that? Uh, who is left that re- actually understands like the original Dolores's program and you know because because what Maeve's going to come out and just be like oh no uh, Dolores is actually totally pro-human saw to and everything just trust me like what there's this like religious theme that like she had a divine revelation that Dolores Prime died immediately after that like how the hell is anyone going to believe her that that's the actually right. thing that happened um 
actually had a lot of kind of outrage feedback that I didn't even think about of like, why did Maeve completely take at face value everything that Dolores said in that last memory fragment? Because the last thing we knew from Dolores or the Maeve was that she was just hell mad at Dolores for killing her boyfriend uh, in a very right. casual way. So like that, I don't know. There's something about the, they didn't quite get Maeve's motivation squared for a lot of people. Didn't seem like. I think all season I kept encountering this and I think I, I kept waiting to like hold off judgment until the finale. Cause I was like, I don't know what they're going to pull out of the hat here. Uh-huh. And so I, I was kind of just like waiting to see how everything concluded. And then once I, once I watched it all unfold, I was like, okay, so this season, everyone's just been talking in like as vague of terms as possible up until this point so that they are seemingly misunderstanding each other mm-hmm. even though they don't need to and i feel like the only reason why i kind of buy into like Maeve actually listening to Dolores is because it's kind of like you know basically everything else but that one conversation like all of Dolores has been deleted and she's kind of being she's being tortured and so I think Maeve is sort of like you know this is her like last gasp of trying to like exist and tell me what she actually believes kind of thing and like you know Maeve has this like superpower whatever thing which I'm not quite sure why she wouldn't have exercised that sooner but I feel like she can probably you know hell when she's being communicated with yeah there's a, a straightforward she, manner kind of like robot mind meld right so it's like it's in like yeah. spock's mind melding with you can't really lie to him but yeah spock's mind melding with a part of you that 99 percent of your brain's been wiped and you're holding on deliberately i might add to one particular memory yeah. them there's a hell of a lot that can be hidden in in those and yeah. and I, I just I don't know, because like, you know, I think it's also telling, like you said, uh, with this Lawrence copy, if if it indeed is him that's responsible for all those fight club type explosions at the end, that party is going to pop off regardless of what Caleb did. Right. He, what choice he made, it was still going to blow the fuck up out of, of, of uh, downtown L.A. Right. So it's like. Uh, this goes back to like maybe Dolores actually is evil. <laughs> you know, she's just hoods winked everyone into thinking that she's a saint so she can super double secret sell her plans. I, I it's I, it's it's crazy. It's it, crazy. Yeah, call me crazy, but I feel like I have to take them at their word at the very end of the season. Like it, it, when they're uh, having a character, you know, spill her emotional guts to another character. I've got to believe that there's something there that I can grasp onto. And, and ground in because if not what show am i watching what am i doing i don't know maybe, man. i don't know because like that's why maybe I, maybe mave could hear that ramin jawadi score kick in <laughs> and was like <laughs> oh man it's emotions time something my, serious is happening my semi-organic heartstrings are being tugged yeah yeah <laughs> this, is, this is important uh, Jim. I mean, honestly, I think that that does all the emotional work. That does so much of the emotional work for that scene and for other scenes oh, in yeah. that finale, you know? They're lucky to have him for sure. Um, Jim, round two. Uh, what is your second most burning question? All right, I got a silly one for you. Uh, we got to know what animals are extinct. What animals exist? Which ones are dead uh, completely? I-, I think there is some indication to know. Um, first of all, we know elephants are gone, right? They basically say that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Secondly, we see a dog, but I got a theory on this dog. Uh, does the dog have a name? I don't think the dog has a name, right? It. I think you're no, talking about the, the dog Loris. The, the, the dog Loris. The, the child predator dog. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I, I'm gonna call. Yeah. I, well, I don't want to get too too clever with the naming of this thing because it could be gross. Um, yeah, so let's let's just talk about this dog. I've got a theory that this dog is not real. Okay. And this perfectly explains a big question that a lot of people had, like, why don't they take this dog with them when they bug out at the end? And, you know, Chaloris goes right. and grabs her whole family and grabs Nathan. Um, Nathan doesn't complain that the dog's not coming. Is this thing like an Ibo? Is this just like, oh, this is a thing that I own. This is like the equivalent of not grabbing your PlayStation 4 on the way out the door. Uh, it's more like like with the, it's more like not grabbing your child stuffed animal out the door, you know, like, uh-huh. yeah, I guess like in the burning house, you would not maybe do that, but uh, you'd probably try, right? You know, especially, if, especially like, if it can just come to you, you could like whistle for it and yeah, it would follow you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they kind of forgot Maybe about they were like, <laughs> we can handle watching a like seven year old and a grown man burn alive in a car, oh, wow. but not the golden retriever. Yeah, that like, might be true because I'm always amazed at like how a dog death is the fucking last straw for people like in all the human mm-hmm. history of Chernobyl. The the one thing that really like got the people is the episode where they're killing irradiated dogs. <laughs> like yeah. it's like oh, I can't watch it. I just watched I watched a firefighter melt in the arms of his wife. Uh, <laughs> but but this puppy being killed, no, uh uh-uh, uh, can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a similar thing in Watchmen too, where it was like, oh, all this horrible stuff's happening, and then it's like, did you just incinerate that puppy? <laughs> right, <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> what? Yeah. And we also yeah. know that flies still exist, yeah? That's the one thing we definitely flies are sure are of. Flies are real. Yeah. Flies are real. Yes. And they're in the ointment, and they're causing a lot of trouble. <laughs> we had to freeze them. God, I, g- I gave up on fly analysis this season. <laughs> I was like, I threw the towel in. I was like, I don't know anymore, man. They're just there. They're doing I, stuff. I'm still doing some fly analysis dabbling. Yeah, I, I still there might be some there. there. <laughs> Someone uh, has to carry the fly torch. All right, here's a burning question I got because again, I'm in full Charlie from uh, uh, Always Sunny mode. Why did Stubbs miss his vertebra? Hmm. And I think this might be linked to the Dolores plan stuff because my question is. Do AIs make mistakes? I don't mean mistakes like, oh, I thought you were evil, but you're actually good. But like, do they trip over straight stray cords or do they intend to like write W-R-I-T-E, the word write W-R-I-G-H-T and then write R-I-G-H-T instead? Do they make those kind of mistakes? I feel like no. And I was I was primed for whatever was going on with both Stubbs and Bernard to have some sort of big twist because I was like, I don't understand how he misses vertebrae. I think it's really sus that Bernard just like waltzed up the beach with like absolutely no issues with security and like found Stubbs and then like conveniently they were paired up this season. I felt like that was leading to something like a Dolores plan 
or like a something. And so far it hasn't. But again, like, I guess Dolores was like priming him for the suitcase handoff and then like cryptically sent him to Arnold's wife's home. So like, I, I don't know. But I still think it's either just like extremely convenient that he missed his vertebrae or indicative of some sort of programming that he had in himself yeah. to not be able to actually destroy himself. Are we sure that Dolores never was contacted Solomon first? Because I had this theory, like when we first went to that episode, uh, that like the way Dolores is talking about meeting Solomon is almost like the way Morpheus talked about to Neo meeting the Oracle. Like, oh man, you're gonna love this guy once you meet him. Uh, is it possible she somehow reached out to him either over the internet or through some kind of, I don't know, Maeve's force network or something and has established contact with this other, you know, vast intellect and they did some simulations themselves because it is really suspect about all that stuff that Bernard did. We know there's another mole inside Delos and we know that like this guy shouldn't make mistakes. It's almost like this was yet another guidepost left for for Bernard, which makes perfect sense because there's many points in the episode and in, in the episodes where Dolores is like, ah, here's Bernard right on time or oh, a few seconds early that implies. But but there's like almost there's like five different characters running the emperors. Everything's proceeding according to my plan speech in this in this season. And so I just can't ever tell. But like, I think that there is there there. And, you know, Stubbs Pearl is going to be in that bathtub and it's going to be important next season. Or I'm just being an idiot. I don't know. Yeah, I've I've been I've dwelled on this a long time. I also interviewed Luke Hemsworth in person and mm -hmm. asked him directly about that. And I couldn't tell if he was just like kind of like laughing it off because he hadn't really thought about it or if he was trying to like be inscrutable. But he was just sort of like, Yeah, that's really interesting. Hmm. And I was like, but why did it happen? And he was like, oh, no, it's so interesting. Ha ha. And then, like, kind of started talking about free will. Yeah. So that's still, I think that that is, I'm, I would like it if that, like, somehow led to something bigger with Stubbs next season. But I'm also, I'm open to the possibility that it was just a little bit of, like, a writing flub of, like, oops, like, we forgot. We kind of forgot that hosts should be able to shoot literally anything that they aim at. Too too many, including too many. their own neck. Yeah, too too many, too many loose ends. I guess that's it's it's tough. What's the line between a production flub and and uh, an intentional uh, 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 breadcrumb trail? Yeah, that's honestly uh, like my yeah. biggest question about this whole show is how good are these. Uh, how good are the people making the show? Like, do they actually consider every detail? Does some slip past them? Like, season one was such a tight package that I have, I, I really yeah. don't know. Like, when I see things like this with the the ID numbers and things that just don't seem to line up, is that something that they did intentionally? Like, they would have in season one, or is that something where the production is slipping a little bit? Yeah, I, I, that's a big question, and I don't have a clear answer on it because I, I, I could see it's like if season two was 
it, like overly complicated, but it was like <clears throat> season two was like they crafted this puzzle that had like a hundred pieces in it and then broke the puzzle and threw the pieces all over the board and said, there's the order in which we're going to hand out this information. Like season three feels like they just made a puzzle and then made a bunch of extra pieces. And I can't tell if that was intentionally to like feed the people that they knew would be trying to like look for some sort of like secondary twist or like hidden storyline or like mirror world mm -hmm. simulation thing or if they just like genuinely like didn't realize that they were setting up so many threads for people to pull at well they've trained me to pull at them uh, that's the thing like i right. i'm i want to pull at them in this show and I, I, I want to think that when they say, you know, if they were to come out and say, oh, well, that was a production error or that was just something we didn't think about, that I would believe them. But I'm not sure I would even believe them at this point. You know, it's right. I don't know. It's a it's a crazy fandom world we're living in where the Internet is just pulling all these shows apart. And, you know, like you said, rearranging the pieces and seeing if they can make their own version of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Well. Do you guys want to go a third round or do you want to because um, I got a couple other points where we could talk about uh, our thoughts on season four and maybe because it sounds like we're treading on the concept of like Westworld burnout and fatigue uh, because I know that you wrote an article, Kim, about your yeah. mixed feelings about the way we're covering this show. I know Jim and I have had a couple periods in time where we have gone through a really rough kind of puzzle sh box show stretch and we question like are we even enhancing people's enjoyment of these shows or are we actually are we the person at a magic uh, magic show like shouting out i see the string you know i there's the you didn't chop that lady in half and it's just like ruining the whole <laughs> thing do we, we want to talk about that yeah i think this season in particular like we were just talking about uh you know, as someone who tries week to week to try and, like, get as much information, like, extracted from every episode as possible and put it out there for, like, either other people to work theories around or, like, kind of developing my own, like, here's where this might be going based on this, you know, callback that they're making or this reference that they, you know, snuck in there. It was tough because I kept feeling like, the amount of energy I was putting into it was not being rewarded in the same way that past seasons have been. And I couldn't tell if that was because the way that I pick apart this show now is just not the best way. Like that's maybe that's just not the best pro like approach to being a Westworld fan anymore. But at the same time, uh, like Jim just said, like they've trained me to be that kind of fan. Like I got like it was so fun in the first season and even the second season even though you know I had to watch every episode like literally five times in order to like completely make sure I had everything straight I still felt like I had a good grasp on it and I just feel like that grasp started slipping this season for me I wonder if like you know there's this whole culture around uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show where they go to midnight shows, they dress up as the characters, they throw rice at the screen during the wedding, they do synchronized uh, wiper movements with their hands, they they do dance numbers, and everyone has so much fun, right? It's the best. Like, you know, you walk away, that's a memorable experience. What if we did that for every movie? 
or or what if we just did like, let's say you know what this is how we're going to do all musicals and everyone shows up to like fucking um uh, uh les miserables and we're going to throw we're going to throw dentures at the screen when cassette's singing about getting her teeth pulled or I'm, or you know we're i don't know we're going to do all this kind of stuff but it's this is a this is not a like a romp this is something about human misery and pain and it's not working and we're coming away like why isn't it as much fun as it as it was this other thing? Like, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes wonder because, like, you know, it is it is the most fun. It is the most fun to have a show that's mysterious, like The Leftovers or uh, Mr. Robot or you know, uh, the, the Westworld, and to try to be one step above the showrunners. And your your hope is that you always get like 90% there and then that other 10% they blow your mind because oh look at it's all like all clicks in place and it makes sense. Yeah. But that's really hard to do and not every show is going to stand up to that level of scrutiny. So, but it's the most fun way to do a show like this. So, uh, how, what what are we to do? What are we to do as content creators and as fans of something? Yeah, it is I think I think part of the reason why I started <clears throat> tapping into this this season more was partially just like all of this external feedback I was getting, which I kept hearing from people, whether it was on Twitter or like responses to my articles or my coworkers or just friends who were telling me that reading my articles or like listening to podcasts like yours and like Joanna Robinson does like great, uh, she has two other Westworld podcasts happening, like kept telling me that like, reading those things and listening to those things was the only thing keeping them engaged with the show and I was like well that's not good Mm -hmm. like Uh I don't I don't work for HBO I work (laughs) for myself and like I I don't know how I feel about like that much pressure being on me of like all right gotta keep this fandom engaged with this tv show that I'm covering because like I don't know I think I think dealing with that pressure this season was maybe tough for me plus it's just a weird time in our world like I'm like did I really have to be like wringing my brain out every Sunday night while I'm in the middle of a pandemic and just trying to like exist I don't know maybe if this show maybe if this season had aired at a different time in the world it wouldn't have felt so uh exhausting sometimes in the way that it did which is not to say it was all bad I really liked pieces of the season a lot like I still felt that Westworld magic. It's just like the the sum of its parts wound up not quite being what I thought it was going to be by the time that the credits rolled after the post credits. Yeah, I think in <laughs> a lot of ways I'm still chasing the high of season one because um, that yeah. season is so freaking good. Like the end of that season just blew me away, um, and, and it was that ninety percent thing that you were talking about where you you know you kind of understood 90% of what was happening. The internet had picked apart everything. We knew multiple timelines, but then you get to the end and it adds to just that extra 10%. That's the cherry on top, which was a mind blowing, uh, season two. I, I wasn't a huge fan, uh, season three, I'm looking at the new setting and I'm like, okay, this should be really good. And I think there were moments in there that were really good. Um, and the things that they're trying to do with this season are really difficult. Like, how do you tell a story mm-hmm. about free will and AI? And and I think the problem for me has been mostly throughout this 
certainly throughout this season, but maybe throughout most of the show has been that this show has failed to engage me on like an emotional level. Mm. And I, I'm just not picking up like why I should care much about the the characters and the specific situations they're in. I'm more interested in the big things that this show is doing. And so I like it's it's hard to it's hard to get into both levels of the show that way because the show isn't really encouraging me to. Yeah, right. it's kind of like it's kind of like the anti leftovers, right? Because the leftovers had the opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they said, the don't end, worry about the the mystery. Yeah, like they had all these interesting things, and some of them paid off. And at the end of the finale, they could all like Lindelof could always be like, you know what? Fuck all that shit. We're gonna have Kevin and Nora crying their eyes out, and yeah. you guys are gonna be clamoring for more. Whereas like Westworld doesn't have that emotional core to fall back on, so it's like right. all things have to interlock and come into place to get that kind of, you know, emotional resonance, that satisfaction though the, they get for essentially free on uh, the leftovers, because at the end of the day, you know, what happened to 2% of humanity is less important in the moment than like Kevin kicking the front door open and rescuing his daughter from a burning house or, you know, yeah. like the various like character beats we got in that show. And I thought that they were going to, get there with Caleb and his interactions with mm -hmm. Maeve Morris and all that kind of stuff. But they, they didn't quite get there and they didn't even have anything as emotionally resonant as like, uh, the Kitsuya episode or even Dolores oh, yeah. cradle, uh, you know, uh, Teddy, they all, I mean, they, they came so close with like Hector and Maeve, but right. a, they sacrifice Hector on that emotional altar when we had just barely forged that connection. Like we needed a, another season of her and, and him and Maeve uh, out in the real world and they're they're free and they're uh, they're not deluded and they're fully conscious. Um, then you've got that kind of connection. But like mm -hmm. it seems like we never can get that emotional connection with someone before they're burning it, you know. Yeah, which like I do think I didn't I I didn't mind Caleb's character. I know I know he's been kind of divisive. I think for some people, um, I liked what Aaron Paul was bringing to the table, but yeah, it never quite hit that emotional depth. I also was like, man, the bar is in the floor. If like you didn't sexually assault me, is why <laughs> I picked you. I like I feel like I feel like they wanted that moment to land differently and yeah. i was sitting there being like yeah okay like <laughs> i mean good for him oh but you mean basic that... human decency is now the floor of this thing? okay sure right like caleb cool, the cool, hero cool. Of, caleb is the hero of hashtag not all men <laughs> <laughs> seriously uh so, yeah i i i wanted more out of him and i think i mean not to get like back into our questions but like i really missed Felix and Sylvester this season because I think having having humans that we already have like a built-up connection with and humans who we know are on team host I think was maybe a missing element this season and maybe they're going to bring some of that back but like you know they turned Stubbs who was a human character okay now he was the host the whole time we got Lee back 
in the mini form that he did. But honestly, like Lee returning that whole simulation episode where like I thought it was real for a little bit and I thought that Lee was back was one of my favorite parts of the season. I thought oh, it was yeah. so well done uh, and got me so excited. And then I didn't mind that that wasn't real, but I did mind that like we we never got any of Maeve's human allies back. And I think that that might have contributed to like her feeling a little bit more emotionally shallow this season. And so I they think it's important to have that balance. Mm -hmm. They fucked that up too, because like we thought the obvious thing to do was to put Lee in, he in, in Hector's, you know, empty body. And then and bring then back our mistress. Right. He's not, she's not Lee in the same way that Bernard is not Arnold, but it's something. And instead we get right. like the, 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 uh, the fake or the non-genuine uh, armistice model. Uh, I just like that. That was just profoundly disappointing that they had this blank Hector body and it seemed like the obvious thing. Uh, and we were so looking forward to it. It's like, oh man, Lee and Hector's body is going to be so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Yeah. Which, hey, maybe, maybe next season. I don't know. That's why I'm just, I'm, it's not like I'm over the show whatsoever. And that's what I kind of tried to get across in this piece that I wrote. I think that like, my hope is just that the, they're obviously, they've set themselves up for like yet another sort of reboot of like, you know, they could, they could plant us in any time or location next season. And I'm yeah. just hoping that we maybe get back to like more of that emotional core of, uh, a little bit more character driven stuff while also yeah like you said jim like tackling these like really big picture pretty like heavy sci-fi concepts that are fascinating and i want to see what they're trying to do with that i think that there's just a way to maybe balance it more so that we get back to that season one thing of like like season one was also really heavy with like concepts of like what is a human like what do we treat like how do we treat synthetic consciousness versus real consciousness and like yeah. what obligations do we have to those creations and like what it is to be human to suffer like that was fucking bleak but like you had Ford there as this sort of foil where like his motivations much like Dolores's motivations were very vague this whole season it was really hard to pin down what the heck Ford was up to for the entirety of season one. But I think Anthony Hopkins just got all of these like really good nuanced monologues and like that performance is so amazing. And I didn't, I didn't mind that ambiguity in the way that I felt myself minding it in season three. And there was a lot going on. Because the didn't feel the same. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay, we're establishing the entirety of this new world for this show. Like, you know, you got, it, it, okay, so maybe that wasn't engaging to you, but you've got Westworld itself, right? You've got uh, right. 15 new characters that you can dive into and say, what is their deal? So it's a little easier to kind of gloss over things like that in the first season, whereas now we're, we're deep in it. We kind of have a uh, some grounding here, and these big ideas um, really need to land if they're gonna kind of be the thing that the show is all about. Mm hmm And now that we've killed William, presumably, I was also <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't think I put that on my slideshow, but I'm like, we didn't see a body, mm -hmm. so 
Yeah. Who knows? I, but I feel I, like I feel like we keep losing our human characters, and I think that we need to bring in more or bring back like a Felix and a Sylvester and I don't like Elsie like Elsie's oh yeah that emotional climax between Elsie and Bernard last season was so powerful I think and you lost that you lost Bernard having a like direct connection to a human who's not just his own past copied human self that's in his brain but which I think is why that finale scene with Arnold's ex-wife was really emotional yeah and that landed for me even if i don't understand really why it was there i was like i don't i'm not really clear on why dolores sent him there but i liked that scene a lot and i think that we need more of hosts and humans interacting that's not just caleb walking around being like i don't do personal (laughs) but i (laughs) actually used to and what are we actually trying to do here dolores for the 18th time yeah yeah i'm not gonna tell you (laughs) All right. Well, maybe we can move in because we got a little feedback from the listeners. Maybe we can move to feedback and consider some other things through there. Uh, do you have time to stick with us for the feedback section, Kim? Yeah, I'm. I'm in here. I've got my coffee, my cat on the bed. All right, we it. got everything we need. <laughs> uh, first up is Dave said during the season I went back and forth on whether Dolores was evil. Eventually, I started viewing her character as if I were Obi Wan Kenobi. Dolores is both good and evil from a certain point of view. Even though she may see beauty in human beings, the end result is that hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people are going to die. Looking at this potential body count, it's understandable that humans, especially Serac, would see her as evil. From this perspective, her death to Robo-Hobo is the final piece of her plan for worldwide human genocide. However, from Bernard's and Maeve's perspectives, she is destroying the world in order to save humans, which may be seen as heroic. To them, she sees the beauty in human beings. To them, she's sacrificing herself to Robo-Hobo, in order to bring about its destruction. From this perspective, she is dying for human sins in order to save them. What do you guys think about the Obi-Wan Kenobiification of Dolores's plot? Absolutely correct. Yeah, I think that's a succinct and, and good way of looking at it. I When I uh, talked with uh, Nolan and Denise Kay after the episode, he kind of brought up sort of just that which was like they specifically put in uh ford asking dolores like which would you be the hero or the villain that quote from season one they put that in the like previously on segment Mm -hmm. on purpose and nolan said the answer being that life is more complicated than that and so i think that that's exactly right that like she falls somewhere in the middle depending on how you're looking at her action and what she's done to get up to this point that's one of the things we were asking the entire season, I think Aaron and I on the podcast is, you know, is Sorak a villain? Is Dolores the villain? Who is a villain here? If Sorak thinks his motives are altruistic, does that make him good? Like, there there are so many complications in that scenario. I think that's the one thing the show did right in that, um, you know, you, you try to make all your villains like Magneto from the X-Men, right? It's like, well, okay, he's bad, but boy, he sure has a reason uh, inside his head, this all makes sense, right? And I felt like all of the evil people in this season, the quote-unquote bad people, are that complicated. Like, Serac yeah. is doing something inhuman, but then again, he's a young boy that survived a nuclear holocaust, and he doesn't want to see that ever to happen. Like, Dolores is doing a lot of bad things, but she grew up in a murder-rape simulation and doesn't want to see that, ha- you know, where, where people are in loops and controlled and don't have any free will or, or agency, and she doesn't want that to happen again. Um 
like all of the people were conflicted and multidimensional and shades of gray. It's just they 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 somehow weren't able to make that emotional connection. Like, you know, like they didn't I, I guess maybe you need a Professor X or you just have a bunch of magnetos and they all kind of look the same. Like you need to have that uh that contrast between the light and the dark, the hot and the cold, or else, you know, how how do you know there's a difference in temperature between the the, the two things? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next petitioner. Brent from San Diego said, Hey guys, just listened to your finale podcast. I was interested that you've only come across the wonderful Mr. Wright so recently because we talked about, um, was it late, late the yeah. stage, uh, boardwalk empires when Jim and I mm-hmm. first had kind of come across him. He said, aside from playing the CIA agent Felix Leiter in the most recent Bond films, he originally showed up on my radar back in the lovely 1996 film Basquiat, telling the tragic story of famed graffiti artist and painter Jean McHale Basquiat, I'm probably butchering that, played by Mr. Wright himself, perhaps the greatest who's who of 90s art house cinema. You got your Gary Oldman, Dennis Hopper, Benicio Del Toro, Courtney Love, Michael Wincott, uh, Christopher Walken, Parker Posey. Maybe bearing the lead a bit here, but David Bowie as fucking Andy Warhol. <laughs> the movie, while not perfect, uh, has a perfect soundtrack and Bowie and Wright's performances and the visual style really create a wonderful gem of a movie. Maybe this will spark some interest. If nothing else, you'll get more Jeffrey Wright in your life, uh, which is never a bad thing. Uh, I am very interested in seeing this film. I had no idea this film existed. <laughs> not even remotely. I mean, the Courtney Love is, I don't, I don't know if that sold me or, you know, helped help sell me on it. But, like, everything else seems very, very solid and interesting about that. So I will put it on my list of things to check out. And thanks for the recommendation, Brent. Uh, speaking of Jeffries, Jeffries up. He says, I think one of the reasons Evan Rachel Wood's fight scenes are so good, especially in contrast to some of the others, is because she's had a black belt in Taekwondo since she's 12 years old. Did you know this, Kim? I did. Yeah. I, okay. Crazy. It was it was news to me. There's apparently a People magazine article uh, where she says, "I'm a black belt in Taekwondo, and I was happy to get to flex that muscle finally." She also said, "Here's the thing. I told them when I signed on to do the show that I was a black belt, and Lisa went and said, "Oh, that's going to come in handy." Then season three rolls around, they start choreographing this fight, and I start doing kicks, and the stunt coordinator goes, "What? What?" <laughs> Uh, she did said the stunt coordinator wasn't told she was a black belt or else her fight scenes would have gone differently. Uh, they started eventually altering things like adding more kicks and stuff, she said. Um, that's interesting. And I wonder if there is a little bit of hint of like showrunner sloppiness here and that I feel like on a tighter show, that would have been something they kept in their back pocket and told the stunt coordinator, oh, yeah, this she's really capable of some physicality. Let's really amp up the stunts where I think clearly when it came to Tandy Newton, they were doing everything possible to hide the fact that she's not that great of a stunt person, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe particularly athletic at, at all. Um, well, yeah, I agree. Think? And also it's, it's unfortunate, I would say with, uh, Hemsworth's injury this season, because I think that definitely <laughs> yeah. affected those scenes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that like they just had a lot of bad action directors. And when we finally get Jennifer Gatzinger uh, in episode six and eight, someone has a lot of previous action and solid dramatic uh, directing chops like that's a that's a talent like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, people like Michelle McLaren and uh, Miguel Sapochnik don't just like fall off the truck. 
Like they right. get, they 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 get little they filming action and and having that night kind of like non yeah that purely visual storytelling is an art unto itself. And if your first exposure of that is this high concept uh, HBO show about robots, it's probably going to look stilted and bad. And that really came out in some of the action in season two, season three. Um, Virgilio says they made it clear that Sirac is just a puppet of Rehoboam this year. Wouldn't it make sense that it was Rehoboam that had Sirac tell the other two to kill Caleb? This is um, a question we had, which is, um, or addresses a question we had, which is why they did the whole trope of Sirac saying, kill this guy, and then they have to host, right. show, like drag him to a corner, and then they're like, you know, holding their guns, but they're not shooting them. But and so, I, I mean, the real question is, are they going to listen to whoever's giving the orders, or are they not? And they listen to the other orders, they just don't listen to this one. Here you go. Virgilio's got an answer for you, Jim. Okay. Uh, what if those other two guards were receiving some last-minute Rico bids to hold off on killing Caleb? In this view, maybe Rehoboam was, had already foreseen the one Earth-saving outcome, and it's led by Caleb. Uh, think like Doctor Strange seeing Tony Stark winning at the end of only one of 14 million possible outcomes. So Rehoboam has Sirach tell the two others to kill Caleb rather than have Sirach kill him outright, then uses Rico to delay the two others until he could figure out Dolores' game. <laughs> uh wow that's pretty convoluted uh-huh I mean, but it's even even simpler is that Dol we know that dolores was controlling rico so like it would just have been as simple as dolores having gotten to most of sorok's men first mm -hmm. somehow and being like in the in the event that you are ever shown this man's head and told to put a bullet in it don't and i will make you very rich yeah, uh -huh. but are we are we really going to say that uh, you know Rehoboam couldn't have seen that coming and outbid her while she's laying with her last memory on the floor? It, like point point of order, right. it's an explicit plot point plot point that Rehoboam had no insight into any of the AI's actions. Right. So like, he probably couldn't, which is explains. But, but like, we could I look at the, the Rehoboam could have looked at the app and the you know it could see uh -oh. what charges are being yeah. sent through and what orders. That's and, that's like we, we probably talked about that in the episode itself. It's like, why didn't that instantly start a two way bidding war between Shaloris and Dolores? Right, when right, she's right. paying the sniper. Mm -hmm. like that should have been like, you know, like like two bots trying to snipe an eBay auction. <laughs> you know, it's just that the price just goes up astronomically. I, I mean, Occam's razor here is they just wanted this for dramatic effect. And yeah, right. and so they did it. Yeah. Uh, Jack G says, after watching all of season three, what's your analysis for the opener of this season? He's talking about the credit sequence. Um, what events or people represent the hawk going into the sun or the pool of blood being shown after host is dunked into a pool? I personally believe in episode one or two, or not personally, I believe in episode one or two, you said there is a part that is clearly representing uh, Robo Hobo. Are there any other thoughts or observations you make after watching it now? Um, I was a big early adopter of the Icarus imagery. And I thought that mm -hmm. we were to see a person fly too close to the metaphorical sun and be humbled. And I kept watching and kept watching. My best guess is that Ciroc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'd that, say. That he thought that he had the arrogance that he could put humanity on rails and uh, delay this reckoning that we've had with you know, the, the, the numerous sins the human, human species have, have brought upon each other and the planet Earth itself. Um, and, you know, he was he was punished. He got his wings singed. 
Um, yeah, or at the very last minute, William, maybe, Mr. I'm going to save the fucking world. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, his, yeah, his I'm going to save the fucking world came across as way more delusional than Sirox even. Yeah. yeah. That's another good one. Another, I mean, he definitely got his his wings clipped, even if they could, you know, heal that throat scar for sure. Uh, what about the? I, I do think also that it seems obvious that the robot ascending towards the surface and mirroring the other one's descent into darkness—that's definitely Holoris and Dolores. Like you even have the one being mm-hmm. sort of darkness being the old school uh, Dolores type Erector set robot. So that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, There's I, I also a lot of, um, like, William, but with both Ciroc and William, there's all this, like, eclipse imagery. Like, if you go back and you watch the first two seasons opening credits, uh, there's usually a, it's like a black hat is kind of, like, eclipsing a light in season twos. And then with, I think that that also ties back into, like, the whole flying too close to the sun thing for William this season mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe and then, as far as the ro- robo hobo thing like turning into a dandelion like that that seems like uh you know some kind of influencer effect scattering and, and planting yeah. seed and like that i feel like that was the the um disclosure of the everyone's rohoboam ro- ro- dossier and like that that yeah. you know, catching like fire or like a dandelion, like a fucking dandelion in your yard. You have one, and then next week you get 100. Um, it also, and forgive me if this is what you're explaining, but it's like it's like the like scattered dandelions specifically like turn into arrows in the like Rehoboam system. So it's like chaos into order kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also remember when Nathan's sheets had the exact same pattern yeah. on them? Yep, yep. <laughs> but... Yeah, that that was kind of my read on that was like, uh, yeah, Ciroc like taking all of the various strands that could fly off in every direction and like specifically charting them into this path. Um, We got one from Stanislav. Uh, My biggest criticism of the show is that enormous stakes are never grounded or given perspective from a point of view outside the main cast. In the best shows like Breaking Bad and Leftovers, etc., They often have little vignettes with characters outside the main plot to show how all the stuff the main characters are doing are impacting the lives of real people. The closest the show came was William's therapist getting her insight profile and then killing herself. But even that was entirely from William's point of view. It's hard not to look at all the rioting and buildings collapsing and care about any of it because none of it's grounded in impact on anyone other than the main characters who are well written but totally unrelatable. Uh, And and kind of outside of the effects of it, like... Yeah. yeah aside from Ciroc like who who is really affected by the the finale of of this season when the buildings are blowing up and there's chaos in the streets nobody we know right so like yeah where yeah where does that gut punch come from why should we feel uh very strongly about buildings blowing up and them looking out on the chaos um and I think that was maybe this season's least successful uh kind of flight of fancy here is the idea or the way they portrayed the collapse of society i thought was laughable might be a little too harsh but honestly that's kind of how i felt 
I think they got there in the final episode with the widespread rioting and whatnot. But yeah, you're right. Like when Shaloris went to pick up her fake family, her ex did not seem like really that distressed. He's like, oh, yeah, I got this profile and I thought it might bum me out. So I just let it, you know, you didn't feel like a man who's living in a city who's being torn apart. Like if I heard that downtown Cincinnati, there was riots, people flipping over police cars, burning down buildings. I'm like, shit, that's like three and a half miles from my house where like I would be worried. Maybe the power would be out. Maybe much of it. Like right. it's, it, they didn't really do a good job of. And, and I think about how effective that one, the therapist killing herself was like that was a really mm-hmm. that scene landed like uh, just just how cold and clinical it was filmed. And um, it added the unreality of the situation. Um they 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 could have had those moments. I think like in you know he talked about Breaking Bad like John Delancey, you know his air traffic controller. Like yeah. uh, you know there's a perfect example of how Walt's small scale misery and pain led to widespread death and devastation and 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 you know that that was an ongoing plot point. You, they don't really do that. They don't really have these tethering things here in, in Westworld. Mm-hmm. Also, remember when Dubai was just chill. <laughs> Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like I, William William rolling up to that office was like, okay, like you guys are all fine now. I guess we don't know exactly how much time passed, but he like still had blood on his face, which looked yeah. to me like it it was the same blood that was on his face when he was in L.A. So right. it kind of felt like he just got on a plane. I had some and, like some fourteen hours passed. Like- when you look at Rehoboam's eclipse imagery, like most of the circle was blown out, but the top and bottom, like at the poles, it was still pretty nice and sharp. Mm. And I, that's supposed to re- represent places that like Dubai or some of these other places where he rules not through the like bottom up like he did in like some of the Western countries, but maybe top down, like when he met with that uh, dictator of Brazil. You know, like yeah. I don't think what in Brazil is using the app. It's more like he controls the people on top. So like maybe those there's pockets in the world where are more autocratic that still have that veneer of control. And Dubai probably would be one of those areas. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, let's move on to Megan. When Robo Hobo revealed the outcome of Solomon's plan to Caleb, we see three crisis points in humanity's future, with the final one being 150 years or so down the line. Uh, that's one tag of species extinction. And I'm not sure I agree with Megan's time frames here. I don't remember the exact time frames that, that they were dealing with. But um, I do thought this her overall point is interesting. She says, my guess is seasons four, five, and six are going to be set at these crisis inflection points. The plot will be whether humanity can make the right choices to turn away from the bleak prediction of extinction. If I recall, the first crisis is uh, 12 to 24 years away. I thought it was like six to 12. Um, but anyway, the prediction was shown to Caleb. I think the answer is going to be how long Bernard was or will be in the sublime. Bernard will wake up and walk into a world that is at or about to be at the first crisis point. Uh, a big irony would be if Bernard is the actual crisis or creates the crisis. This pattern of Bernard or another character skipping ahead to the next crisis point can carry the season's far, uh, series far enough forward into time to reach the distant future teased at the end of season two with robots William uh, robot Williams fidelity test. I think high fidelity bot William will be crucial to the question of human extinction and he may even end up saving the world after all. Uh, I really like this theory in general, like the next four seasons, the next three seasons are going to be these inflection points. Um, And I also like the idea that William might actually save the fucking world after all. Uh, What do you guys think? 
I don't want William to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so over that dude. He is so delusional. Oh yeah. Um, I uh, I don't know, but I the the interesting thing about the post credit scenes. The difference between last seasons and this seasons is that like last seasons was just cryptic enough and like connected to all of these bigger ideas, but also not directly tied in really to the bigger. I mean, it is, but it 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 was left there in a way that I feel like they could they could have gotten away with never explaining it. Whereas season three's two post credit scenes, I'm like, okay, you obviously have to address those next season you know otherwise they're like they can't just leave bernard out of the entire season kind of thing and so i think it is interesting that whereas with season two's like you know on my timeline i just plugged that in at the very bottom and i was like this is sometime in the far future i don't know it might not ever matter whereas with bernard i'm like that clearly has to matter so it has to be some specific time frame that they're aiming for i'm just not sure if they're gonna play nice with us in terms of actually telling us when or how that's happening yeah i kind of like the idea of of those landmarks you know the, those events that were shown uh as predictions being sort of landmarks on the roadmap for the mm-hmm. future of this series I, I think that would be neat it'd be like tidy in a certain storytelling kind of way but I don't really expect mm-hmm. them to do that. I guess if I'm looking at the first one of those and it's six to 12 years, do I see six to 12 years worth of dust on Bernard head, Bernard's head? And I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah. yeah. Especially if there's like some maybe fallout, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> like maybe it's broken and maybe some green grass is not there and it's just the dust bowl kind of nuclear winter situation. Yeah, Totally. I'm going to disagree with Kim and I like the idea that of William being some, some key to a positive because like it seems like in last season the AIs kind of threw their head and hands up with humanity. It's like, hey, you, all, you always get to this point where there's a point of no return, like Jim Dalos turning his back on his son. That's the point that no matter what you do, you always get to that. And it's like this Gordian knot that you can't slice uh, to for them to resolve. And that's where at all, you know, the simulations all go to hell. That's where the person's life goes all to hell. Um I mean, that's pretty bleak. I would like to believe that there is a way that a person can can come back from that, that they can heal from whatever trauma that they've um, experienced. And like William being that kind of, uh, uh, you know, product, like because, you know, that's the other thing. It's like doesn't seem like William was born a bad person. And, you know, that he made choices that led him down the path of where he's at. Did he have choices? Like if, if we do have choices, then he made bad ones. And a version of William that could be redeemed as a hero kind of gives uh, some some sort of hope to to us all. Yeah, yes. I just feel like <laughs> if they were, I feel like if that's what was going to happen with William, it would have happened after that big therapy scene. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was right along for the ride in that episode, being like, "All right, he's." he's coming to terms with things. He's having some catharsis. He's like literally exercising his demons. And then if the, if his resulting epiphany was, Oh, this is still all about me and I'm going to go destroy all the hosts that I helped create and tormented 
for their entire lives. I was like, all right, well then you, I, that was when I like fully, you know, got off the William train because I, when I was rewatching the first two seasons before this season, I felt way more negative towards William than I remember feeling when I was watching those seasons live. I was like, man, I think Jimmy Simpson did a lot to bring like pathos to this guy and Mm -hmm make me really want to root for him before I knew that he was the same person as Ed Harris's character. And now I'm like, he's been delusional from the get go. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot of redemption. No, I mean, isn't the place he comes down, isn't it? uh, I'm the hero. I need to commit genocide. Like (laughs) that's what heroes do. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, I'm not saying that this is heroic actions. I'm just saying that like fixing that flaw <laughs> in him would, and also, yeah, like, yeah. I don't think he went through therapy so much as like his therapist injected him full of LSD and then hung herself, <laughs> uh, and left him sure. in that state for God knows how long. But yeah. like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would like. Uh, I, for... I think my my ultimate counter to that is like, okay, if they've if they've solved the the host human copy problem with William it's it's pretty dark that like his his essence is him at his most violent and least sympathetic towards other forms of consciousness yeah you know? he is like the if man, the in, man black. in black is right like if that's the version of him that is able to exist and replicate like that tells me that there's something really that that's just darkness at his core and not like any sort of like optimistic future for humanity if anything i think caleb like they like slid caleb in there to be like hashtag not all men because <laughs> william was like way too far gone on the other side of things all right mm. our uh, our final thought to wrap things up from john g uh he's got some predictions for the future my thoughts for season four go in two directions one, I think the showrunners are following a rough outline of the Pentateuch or the Torah or Old Testament books of Moses outline for each season of the show. Not in a beat-by-beat way, but broadly. Uh, you know, Season one, obviously, Genesis. Season two is Exodus. Uh, if you don't know the Pentateuch, essentially the first five books of the Bible. Um, the escape, uh, the, the Season two is Exodus, the escape from slavery in Egypt slash Westworld. Season three is the book of Leviticus, which is basically here are the rules you must follow. Uh, the book of the Torah, which makes you into a chosen people, and those who don't follow, the outliers, get sent away. If it follows this story, then season four will be the book of Numbers, which starts with a count of who we have left after a period of destruction, who are still in the tribe, so to speak, and then the hard period in the desert where the factions develop, uh, you, uh, the emergence of false idols occurs, and a character named Caleb stays true to the mission, and his descendants inherit the promised land. I imagine Westworld season four is post-apocalyptic. We don't see the war, but we enter in after its aftermath and everything has been destroyed and we're divided into uh, tribes trying to put the pieces back together. I'm picturing the world looking like the cover art for season three, a destroyed wasteland, a kind of wasteland that could pour that much red dust all over Bernard. Uh, Any buyers on the seasons of Westworld mapping onto the Pentateuch theory? I will just fully admit that like anything biblical is a huge blind spot for me in terms of like references and story and so i am totally open to those kinds of interpretations but i sadly like i have trouble building upon them and then it's funny because like even when i try and get 
like Jonathan Nolan, I'm like, Jonathan Nolan, tell me about the Bible because I don't understand this Rehoboam reference. And he's like, oh, LOL, it's not the Bible <laughs> reference. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, that's a, uh, that sucks. But on the other hand, my time to shine. Uh, all those three years I spent yeah. as a devout Christian come into play. Um, I think it is interesting that Deuteronomy, uh, the fifth book, like he mentions about Caleb being a major character, and it ends with Moses, uh, the people, the person who led the people out of Egypt, uh, dying within sight of the promised land. Um, and Caleb, one of the spies who had previously entered into this this hostile land to give report about the land and its people, actually one of the ones that survived the cross, become a leader in the promised land. Um, I think there's interesting because like Dolores, I thought was going to be the mosaic figure, uh, but she mm-hmm. died. And actually, Maeve literally died within sight of the promised land last season, which kind of mm. puts in a mosaic role and then got resurrected. Maybe she's going to be the Moses uh, there's also an interesting like um, so after the Israelites conquered the the promised land um, and inherited it, uh, Caleb uh, asked the new Israelite leader Joshua to give him uh, a piece of land in which to settle with his family. And uh, Joshua gives him this city of Hebron, uh, which later became a sanctuary city, a city of refuge that's ruled by the the priest tribe. And that's interesting in that. Uh, in the old law covenant, if you accidentally killed someone, if you committed like manslaughter, um, it was legal for you, the uh, relatives of the people that you accidentally killed to then hunt you down like an animal and kill you. But if you can make yeah. it to this, these sanctuary seri- cities, you were protected by the priests. Uh, and there was conditions where you could wait an elapsed amount of time or like till the high priest died or till this jubilee period where there's like, you know, your sins were all wiped clean and then you could go back out in society and you wouldn't be hunted by uh, the family's uh, descendants. And I'm wondering if there is some kind of glimmer of redemption for William there and that like any character that we've seen might be responsible for a lot of bloodshed or devastation in a state that which they might not be fully responsible for themselves or because they didn't know any better. Um, if Caleb could be like some kind of gateway to forgiveness or their rehabilitation into some future society existence. But as you said, you asked Jonathan Nolan about the Bible and he's like, LOL. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that says about this theory. Nothing good, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think of, like, where, like, Westville can be so inscrutable sometimes when it comes to, like, what, like, what they're drawing from. And, like, like, never in a million years would I have figured out, like, Stand on Zanzibar was a reference that no right. one was making. I know you guys had a reader email in, did you, about that? I or was so. that a Joanna Robinson podcast? I'm I, my... that's the thing is like it all kind of blends together you know like uh yeah uh what did i read on reddit what did i see there where did someone <laughs> yeah. me? what did someone send an email what did i you know generate on my own it's it's it gets confusing. yeah but i mean bringing and like kind of bringing it back to like damon lindelof we know that like he likes to kind of collect these collect a writer's room full of people with like a lot of different backgrounds like there would be someone who's like a biblical scholar effectively who's like helping work in these themes and so i i'm i would be very curious to like hear from all the writers who are in the room especially this season to be like maybe one of them is totally seeding in these things it's just not coming from nolan himself but i think it's completely 
possible, especially as we're getting into these like bigger conversations about literally like species extinction and the birth of a new race of people effectively in the hosts and that sort of thing that I think it makes a lot of sense that they would be drawing upon those stories in particular. Well, Kim, we are looking at a little bit of a television apocalypse and a movie apocalypse uh, in the next few months uh, <laughs> because the real the real world has imp impacted the fantasy. Um, having said that, what are you kind of interested? Uh, what t tell people like you know where they can where they can follow you and like what is your next big uh, project of interest if you have any? Yeah, so. Um... I'm still plugging away on Insider with like, I've fully, I think like since the last time we talked even, I've now fully uh, become a TV correspondent. I used to kind of be a more like entertainment generalist and now I'm I'm really focusing all in on TV. And so, uh, yeah, I'm still continuing to write my stuff on Insider. You can follow me on Twitter at Kim R. Renfro. Uh, I'm wrapping up some dev stuff. I know it's, it's, it's so hard with streaming because I'm like, I don't know when the window of opportunity for writing this stuff fully closes, but I'm still trying to eke out uh, some of that, as I know you guys are too, which I'm excited to, to listen to you guys uh, dive into that show. So I'm, I'm doing a big details you miss slideshow of uh, the entire season of devs that'll cover spoilers from all eight episodes. Um, I got to interview Alex Garland. So like I have some, uh, cool quotes from him specifically about stuff he he was sort of planting along the way cool. um and then now on the horizon i have dark which is that uh you guys know dark <laughs> oh, on yeah. netflix uh, um for dark is it is it is it unimpacted by the it, it's going to happen as scheduled yeah so yeah so the one of the showrunners um on instagram said that they they're like I think have fully wrapped their post-production, which they were doing remotely. So they had filmed everything and they were in, pre they were in post-production mode by like January, I think. Um, and we don't know yet when that's coming back, but the best guess is that it's going to be, I'm pretty sure it's June 27th, 2020. Cause that was one of the dates in yes. like the cycle of three. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, based on the fact that like, you know, this guy on Instagram has been saying that they're pretty much done with all their post-production stuff. I'm fingers crossed that's going to be June. And so I'll be doing some like lead up to that. Cause every time that a season of that show has dropped, I've been sort of like just slammed with other things. And so I might try and do some sort of a timeline. <laughs> Yeah, I remember we, we had kind of like tried to put our heads together like when you were doing a bunch of promo for your Game of Thrones book um, that like because I just when was plowing through the series because I'd always heard how amazing it is. It's got this time travel and this crazy like inter like Russian nesting doll timeline thing. And I just was so swamped. I wasn't able to get it all watched before we we got together to have a conversation. But I've since watched both seasons and jaw fully dropped what a show uh yeah i don't know maybe we can we can I get think it's great. later this summer with it yeah i'd love that because it is it's <laughs> one of and it's one of those like time travel paradox shows yeah. where like my brain just like literally starts to hurt because it's uh -huh. impossible to like reconcile what they're doing but it it makes sense right up until it does it it's it's yeah. cool and i I'm 
I'm I'm glad that it's like a tight three season arc, right. and so I'm excited to see how they how if they bring you, that one together. If you did a timeline of that, it just looked like an Ouroboros. It would just you know. I know. <laughs> My own Rohoboa. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because like I remember thinking at the end of season one, like they're going to blow this out to three timelines. How the hell is this even going to work? And then like early on in season two, it's like, they just kept on multiplying. I'm like, Oh my God, there's fully a hundred years of overlapping history. I have to keep in mind watching this damn show. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I'm really looking forward to it though. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, I wonder the other one I'm really excited about is uh, straight. Have you heard anything about stranger things? Cause I, I, there was like all these so, rumors yeah. they did filming late last year. And that was another one. I'm like, oh, I could see maybe if they got everything just lined up, they could release that this summer too, or no? They had definitely started filming and then they had to stop uh, uh. in like mid-February, especially because I think this season they were doing like international stuff um, right. and they had to pull everyone back to the U.S. And so it's weird because one of the Netflix, uh, I forget if it was Reed Hastings, some Netflix exec on like an earnings call mm-hmm. claimed that no, like, I don't know if he said absolutely none or if he said like most, he, he made it sound as if they hadn't had any programming disruptions for 2020, which I was like, okay, that either okay. means that you were never planning on Stranger Things season four coming out this year, or uh-huh. that's like the one exception to mm-hmm. what you're trying to say. Because I definitely thought that they were aiming for like a, either Thanksgiving or Christmas holiday drop. Mm-hmm. And now I really don't think that's going to happen if they haven't been able to film. So well, that's a unique challenge too, because yeah. those kids aren't getting any younger. <laughs> like if they get half, no. they get half. Of, I mean, we saw what happened with the Isaac Hempstead right on game of Thrones. <laughs> like imagine yeah. for like that happening from episode to episode <laughs> as, yeah. as you know, or our, even our scene to scene, coming. right? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They don't film it chronologically. Yeah. So, holy shit. They're going to have to come up with some, like, timey-wimey yeah. reason why these kids are changing ages. <laughs> like Finn Wolf. Every Wolf, five like days. Seven foot tall in one scene, and he's <laughs> five five in the next, you know. They got Millie Bobby Brown standing on various milk crates to, to balance out the height. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's that's the biggest one that I'm concerned about. I'm glad man we know Mandalorian season two was fully wrapped. No so shit. That yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's still good to go for October, I'm pretty sure. Which is great. So we have we have we have some bright spots on the horizon, but yeah, we're definitely gonna hit a really weird dry period at some point in the next like as soon as five like maybe like I don't know, three or four or five months start to see the effects of all of these productions yeah, having been put on pause uh when i was watching devs last night i like almost sobbed because they're still on uh, fx on hulu running advertisements as if fargo started in uh, in april 19th oh wow and i'm like oh fargo they took my fargo away. <laughs> so, like we're already missed a lot of stuff that we should be getting to right about now um yeah, it'd be, it's interesting. It's the most disruptive thing I've seen since like the writer strike. Um, I think yeah. it'll probably be way more disruptive than that when you take a when you talk about the the actual scope of everything that's going to get pushed and shuffled around and and whatnot. Yeah, and even like we're hearing that they're starting to loosen restrictions on like 
film sets opening up, but the the conditions upon that are still like you have to keep your actors six feet away from each other. And it's like, <laughs> okay, so like we're just never going to have like intimate character scenes in all of our like 2021 right television that's that's yeah, dark or maybe they'll just cgi it yeah 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 well they're in a real bind too because it's not like they're an essential like you know yeah you can argue that the arts are essential but like essential it's, right. it's kind of like anytime like you hear a stunt person die and it's just like you know you kind of question like jesus christ like is anything worth someone's life being lost well mm-hmm. you know uh, a production of a thousand people gets hit and you know one percent of them die oof Oof, that's not a good look for uh, you know, an escapist entertainment industry, you know. So nope. Well, it's uh it's a crazy world we're living in, and we're just all gonna try to muddle through for the the next uh, months or even and maybe years to come. Um, but uh boy, I don't know why I went down this path. This is a bad way to, <laughs> this is a bad way to end the podcast. Uh uh hey, remember of- Humanity is not all lost. Yep. There's optimism out there. We have Let's follow. It's just really fucking yeah. hard. <laughs> I know. That's, it's just that's really, the rub of it. It's really fucking hard. <laughs> like, what does Patton Oswalt's wife used to say? It's life's hard. Be kind. Uh, let's let's yeah. let's do that for ourselves and each other. Uh, Kim, it's always lovely to have you on. I uh, really appreciate your insights, and hope everybody checks out your work on Insider. Uh, again, all those links you can uh, to, to uh, Kim's uh, Twitter and her column on the ins- on Insider is in the show notes of this year' podcast. Thanks for all the hard work you did on Westworld. Hope you feel like it pays off better next season. I guess. <laughs> hey, I'll be right there with it and you guys again. So thank you for having me and for always, uh, you know, supporting my stuff. I really appreciate it. You guys rock. Uh, you've been a very uh, crucial resource uh, for me this year. So appreciation goes both ways. Uh, as far as everybody's stuck with us to the end here, thank you very much for getting to the bitter end of our Westworld journey with us. Uh, as we've alluded, uh, we're still going to have our movies each week. We got a little bit of Rick and Morty that we're burning through uh, the, the last of season four over the next few weeks. Uh, Jim and I are starting our uh, off the clock uh, shows for our club members. We're going to be talking about devs, at least up front, and then a whole bunch of other television as we go. And uh, we're keeping our eye on the entertainment schedule, just like Kim is, to see what our next thing is. Uh, so if you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on all the social medias at BaldMove or our website, baldmove.com. Uh, but until the next thing that piques your interest that we're doing would will happen, uh, I remain your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. We'll see you at the next time. <laughs>